Hello and welcome, my name is Leah Barber and you're listening to Next Gen Femme, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women's achievements, being in business, sports, STEM or the arts. We speak to women that persevere through ups and downs to pursue their passions. The very first day I saw it in a shop was in Easton's in Athlone and I was over in Athlone because I was doing an interview on community radio and I always thought the first day I see this book in a bookshop I am going to just be so thrilled and I'm going to be like, hey, this is my book. <laughs> Do you see that? That's my book, okay? But it wasn't like that. I was petrified. In episode 15, we had the pleasure of chatting to Anne Griffin. Anne is the Irish number one bestselling author for her debut novel, When All Is Said. And she was also awarded Newcomer of the Year at 2019's Book Awards. Anne explores and shares the journey she went through and how she wouldn't change a thing about it. Starting with a BA in history in UCD, then after college she worked for over eight years in Waterstone's bookstore, where her love for books flourished. That's not where her writing career started though. In the years that followed, Anne acquired qualifications in community and youth work, accounts technician, and lastly in 2015, an MA in creative writing. But we'll leave all the storytelling to Anne in this new episode of Next Gen Femme. We're excited for you to hear our 15th episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Next Gen Femme or Next Generation Female, however you'd like to put it. We're back with another new episode. We're definitely making use of this self-isolation slash quarantine time myself and VR. We're actually on episode 15 now. So wow. I'm yeah, I know. I'm back with my usual co-host, Dr. Fiona Malone. <laughs> Will you stop saying doctor? Like I that? will never say doc- stop saying doctor like you earned that shit. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a real doctor. I'm a Ross doctor. So <laughs> it's, it's not the same. <laughs> so myself and Fee are delighted to be joined this week by Anne Griffin, who's the author of the Irish number one bestseller, When All Is Said. She's the winner of the Newcomer of the Year Book Awards 2019 and she's currently writing her new book in the back seat of her car because that's where she can find (laughs) the most silence. Welcome, Anne. Welcome. so much, Liam Fiona. Lovely to be with you both. We're very Um, excited to have you on our (laughs) humble podcast. (laughs) Dear God. (laughs) I'm just delighted that anybody contacts me and says, will you come on and talk about yourself for about an hour? (laughs) Okay then. I, I can mean, do that. What's not <laughs> well, what's you. not to like about talking about yourself for an hour? About ourselves, so Yes. I know. Exactly, exactly. People so, people yeah, get, so really people get sick of listening to myself and fee so we have to try and change it up by bringing people on but yes thank you so much. We're very very excited to get a little bit of insight into your journey or your your process and career of where it started and uh-huh. where it is now, how you got to that point. I'm pretty yeah. sure you're the first. I know Kira, who we had on a previous episode, has written a book as well. But you're definitely kind of the first, I think, author, author. That's just like that's their kind of main main deal. So very excited to to hear and listen to you tell us all about it. And I'm sure our listeners are as well, especially any would be wannabe writers out there that are kind of on the on the edge of whether or not to write. So hopefully they get something out of this. But how we like to start the episode if I just got my questions up there now. <laughs> so to start off, we like to get our guests to introduce themselves, age if you don't mind, and an o- your occupation and an interesting or random fact about yourself, or it could be about anything. Stolen my interesting fact about me writing the <laughs> second book in the back of my. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you <laughs> so have plenty. I have to, I have to 
quickly think of something else that's odd about me. But anyway, let's start with the let's start with the easy answers. My name is Anne Griffin. I am an author, and I am uh, fifty-one years of age. I was about to say forty-four. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're not fifty-one. <laughs> I am indeed You're fifty-one. Look great. Oh, you look great. Only the listeners could see me. I know. Oh my god, lads! You should see the state of me. I have this quarantine fringe going on. Uh, Leah's uh, uh, got a scraped up top knot, and then Anne just looks amazing in her pink chair. Oh yeah, my my chair. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. You see, what well, this is why I come on to these things, just for people to tell me how fantastic I am and how fantastic I look. You're very very kind. But this required me starting about an hour ago to get the makeup on me and to choose something that wasn't my pajamas, because I am sitting in my pajamas in the back of my car writing my second novel. With as I was telling you earlier, the neighbour waving in at me, thinking that she is indeed living next door to a complete nutter. Um, so um, okay, so I've come up with another interesting fact about myself, or something that people don't know. I'm a big sci-fi fan, big Doctor Who fan, okay. huge Doctor Who fan. Okay. Yeah. So, and and my son, who who is is uh, 15, is like he knows every single fact there is about Doctor Who, and ha- is is collecting the entire Doctor Who um, video, all of the videos on so on DVDs, should I say, <laughs> videos? See, I am 51. <laughs> um, <laughs> DVD collection. So. From, from its very inception back in 1963. Cool. He wow. collecting wow. every single uh, episode that he can get his hands on. So we're big, big Doctor Who fans in this house. I didn't realize oh, it was going on that long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. we could do the whole podcast about <laughs> Doctor Who if you so next, wish. Next time, next time. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. I've got to hold you to that. Um, so I'll, I'll bring my son on and he can, he can talk to you about it as well. So, uh, so yeah, very uh, uh, fact that people might be quite surprised by. Well, I don't know. There we go. Maybe the next book will be a sci-fi book. Who knows? <laughs> No, I, no. Like, I don't like reading sci-fi. I love watching sci-fi. Okay, okay. You know, so I'm really into, I, I love sci-fi movies and stuff. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Oh, And yes. that was one of the reasons my husband was attracted to me in, in the beginning because I was <laughs> the, only, the only woman he knew who had the trilogy at that point. The nice, original the original classics. So, yeah. The new one, the new one just got added to Disney Plus. So they have all nine. I know. All, all nine trilogies yes, yes. In, in one place. Yes. So... We'll be there's, having our own personal Star Wars fest. Very yeah, soon. for sure. I'd say there's a lot of people doing a bit of a a, a movie marathon with those, especially in the current I'm climate. Here, I've never watched them. Have you not? I'm sorry. Now we're I'm just, up to. We're gonna I'm have on to eight now. Okay. 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 Yeah. Oh no, no, no! I'm getting to. I'm really enjoying. I them. thought you'd ne- oh, you are, said you'd never really watched them at all, and I was like, we're gonna have to cut this episode short. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no! I'm sorry to that now, but it took quarantine to do that because I kept saying, ah. oh, I won't really like no, it. Classic. <laughs> classic. So good. Classic. Yeah. That's a that's a great a great fun fact. I'm sure not many people know <laughs> know that about you. Um, but we've digressed. We yeah. can def- we'll have another episode on Doctor Who and, and Star Wars the next <laughs> okay. time okay. once once okay. is caught up. Um, so as we <laughs> mentioned before we started recording, this this podcast is very kind of free flowing and it's just about our guests talking about um, their journey from when it started and where they are, how they got to where they are now. So for you, you you went through a few different 
degrees. You had a BA in history in in UCD. Mm-hmm. Um, you did a postgrad diploma in community and youth work in Maynooth Uni University. I just wrote uni instead of university. <laughs> and you've worked with a number of charities over the years as well. You also worked in Waterstones uh, in Dublin and London, which for people that don't know, it's a bookstore, kind of like Eason's. Mm-hmm. Um, they have one here in Cork, actually, and it's a really, really nice right. bookstore. And then you obviously did, if I look at my notes here, <laughs> um, you did your, I know, yeah, you did your MA in creative writing in 2005, or 15, sorry, 2015, yes. also in UCD. So I guess, yes. take us through the timeline of working in Waterstones, doing your, your BA in history, and then your diploma, and then obviously the MA in creative writing, and then... Because uh-huh. it's uh, you only started writing, well, maybe professionally or properly in 2013, so that's not that's that right. long ago. So um, I'd love to yeah. go. I'd love I'm for so you. Excited to hear I know. I'd love for you to take <laughs> us through that the process of going through all those different courses. Did you have maybe a different career yeah. thought in mind? We looking at your degrees, we were kind of like maybe did she want to do teaching or something like that. Or God, you're very clever. <laughs> uh, and very oh, clever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'd love to know when did the path diverge down a different? What's that? Is there a po- Isn't there a, po- a poem where two two paths diverge and which one do you take? I don't know. The road diverged in a yellow wood. That one. And sorry, I could not travel boat. Robert Frost. Yeah, there yes. we go. <laughs> it is. So it is. And thank God you quoted that poem because there are very few poems I know. And as a writer, <laughs> I should know more. But one of my, uh, so in my MA, there was, uh, in my MA in creative writing in UCD, there was a module on poetry that you had to take. Mm-hmm. And and this uh, and this was the thing I feared the most in UCD, was taking this module on poetry because I am not a poet. Um, and I never, I could never get my head around um, how you write poetry. Um, and so, so there are very few poems I really know, except for Robert Frost. So I'm, I'm really impressed. But <laughs> I took the poetry course and actually just to say this, um, obviously I had to take the poetry course, but it was one of the best courses I did. Now I only did it for about eight weeks. I dropped it then after that. But one of the things that poetry taught me was to pay attention to a sentence okay. and to pay attention to the rhythm of your words and pay attention to when you're using too many words. Do you need that amount of words mm-hmm. in, your, in your sentence? So it was actually really, really good. I think the tutor was really happy when I decided to give it up because every <laughs> week we had to write a poem, a different kind of poem, like it was a Sistina one week. And then, oh, you see, I can't even remember the names of the types, but we had to write one every week. And a haiku? Thing. No, we never actually got to a haiku. Oh, um, but, but yes, but yes, you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yes you, you get the idea that it was mm-hmm. a, a different type. Oh, yeah. And it was the most stressful thing for me to write. And I'm sure the most stressful thing for my colleagues and my tutor to have <laughs> to hear. So um, anyway, so yes, I'm delighted that you quoted a Robert Frost poem. <laughs> so yeah, how did I get here? So yes, well, I did come to writing very late. As you say, I started in 2013. And, but I suppose who I am, the kind of person I am, is that I've always really enjoyed learning. I haven't necessarily been very academically bright, but I've just enjoyed the process of sitting in a classroom, listening to people who know their subject so well, and just being in awe of that and thinking, okay, 
I think I'm going to be able to retain some of this um, and maybe use it in my life. And so I've, I've always been very excited by courses and by the ability to be able to to learn. And I the other thing that has always been really important to me is is change. I like change. I, I really am a testament, I think, to people who are older and continuing to just try something new. So I've basically gone to college four times. I started off... Uh, as you rightly pointed out, um, thinking I'll be a secondary school teacher. And this was so back in 1986, I think. And I went to UCD and uh, with the idea of I'd be a teacher. Now, can I just say really that I hadn't a clue what I was at. And I just chose teaching because the points for arts in UCD at that point were really low. And so I knew, not being terribly academically bright, that I'd possibly just scrape enough for arts. And arts was such a general degree that I knew it would give me a bit of breathing space before I decided exactly what I was going to do with my life. So I went in with the kind of, I wasn't hopeless. I was just an 18-year-old who didn't exactly know what their life was going to pan out to be. And that's okay. And I think every 18-year-old okay. should be like I that. Think that's- I love I most 18 year olds I think yeah isn't it I definitely didn't know what I wanted to do at 18 no way yeah and I mean even when I was 30 I didn't know what I wanted to do you know and at 44 I decided on a fourth career and you know possibly at 56 I'll decide on something else and it's wonderful because you know I in going back to college four times I don't want to make it sound like it was easy not everybody out there can go to college there are financial issues there are family issues I have been very lucky in that I have had family and friends who have lent me money. I have had a husband who has supported me through um, these changes in in education and, and in going back to college full time and giving up my job. Equally, I have supported him in doing it. And, you know, um, they're, they're, you know he started off as a chef and is now a, a, a special needs teacher. So I have been very lucky in the family that I have. So it's so I took advantage of those wonderful supports around me. And so I came out of UCD with a, a degree in pure history. And I loved history, I absolutely adored history. But I never went on to do anything with it. But I was never good at military history. I was never good. I can't tell you when the French Revolution took place. I can't, you know, I have no idea about you know, who fought in this war and and what years that war was. Because what I was interested in was just the stories of people within those wars. So the kind of social history. Mm. And I specialized actually in the end on um, the women of 1916 and the women of during the Civil War and all of that period in Ireland because I wanted to know what was it was like what it was like for these women who were feminists and were fighting to have their voices heard and to get the vote and yet had to put also had to kind of put that aside just for a moment whilst they fought for Irish freedom. So mm. I was just fascinated by that, those individual stories. And, uh, and I actually specialized and wrote my thesis on a woman called Mary Hayden, who was the first ever professor in University College, a female professor in University College Dublin. And she knew Porter Pierce and she moved with Hannah Shee Skeffington and all of these really, really famous, important women who 
basically fought for the society that we have now and I know we still have further to go but I was just fascinated by by these lies so came came out of college with my history degree <laughs> and went straight into working in Waterstones Booksellers and I worked there for eight years okay. um, and I worked in the gorgeous gorgeous Dawson Street branch which is has now is now Tower Records straight opposite Hodges Figgis absolutely beautiful building worked there for eight years between there and London and it was there that my love of English started and it was there my love of books started in fact one of the stories that I I love to tell is about employing John Boyne who wrote the Boyne Striped Pajamas which most people will know and and the interview (laughs) the interviews that we were running for the job that he eventually got and he arrived in at 20, 21, 22 year old, so fresh faced, so so determined he was going to get this job in his red sports coat, coat and a briefcase. <laughs> Nobody had ever turned up to Waterstones uh, for an interview with a briefcase. And he just, you know, the minute he arrived in the door frame, I was like, I am employing this man because, you know, anybody with that kind of determination deserves a job. So I mixed then with people like John Boyne and Sarah Webb, who is a wonderful children's writer and wonderful promoter of of writing and, and children getting into writing from a very early age. And it was great mixing with these writers. Sarah wasn't a writer at the time. Like John was very much, you know, John will be up at like, five o'clock in the morning, do two hours work before he came into Waterstones and hearing about this world. Um, I'm thinking, God, aren't they just amazing writers? I mean, honestly, you know, they're like, there's like something to aspire to. They are so different. God. And it never occurred to me to, to think about writing. That you could do it too. That exactly. You could... Exactly. It really didn't occur. I was just in awe, in awe of, of, you know, John, and then with Colm Tobin, it was the beginning of Colm Tobin's career, and, and Mike McCormack, all of these people coming in, and you'd sit listening to them thinking, wow, you guys are just so amazing. And of course, at the time then, you know, Anne Enright was beginning to come through, some wonderful female writers, and and so it was just an inspiring time. But yet, you know, for me, it was still, it was still just, you know, something I loved. I loved being around them. I loved reading their works. I loved reading the works of the, the latest new Booker shortlist person. Loved all of that. But at the time, I also was working voluntarily for the Rape Crisis Centre, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre at night, and also um, doing a bit of voluntary work with the Irish Commission for Prisoners Overseas, um, which is an organisation that's still going based in Maynooth. And what it does is it basically, uh, you you become a pen friend of an Irish prisoner, say in America, or it could be Thailand or wherever they might be. And so I had this real love of of volunteering and of, of just, you know, I don't know, I suppose reaching out to other people. As things, by the time I left Waterstones, I was eight years working in Waterstones and I had um, become the manager of the Dawson Street branch, which was as far as I felt that I wanted to go. But I was beginning to think about if I'm going to work this hard in life, why not actually move into a charity sector and make and t- so turn my volunteering, I suppose, into a full time profession where I'm getting that there's a phrase, you know, um, giving something back. And I don't really I'm, I'm, it's that's not really the phrase I'm looking for, I suppose, is where I was learning and really experiencing what life is like for other people. Mm-hmm. And that if some way I could support 
them, then wouldn't that be a good thing to do? I develop huge skills through that and huge empathy. And so I shifted and I went back to I went back to college. This was my first going back and I did a higher diploma in my youth in community and youth work. And a year later came out um, as a development worker. And uh, so I was I was 30 at that stage. And then I so I got I worked I end over three or four years. I worked with asylum seekers, unaccompanied minors coming into the country. So asylum seekers who were on their own under under the age of 18. They were mainly the children that I would have worked with were in around the ages of, you know, around 15, 16. And, and I worked with other community groups then that were facing marginalization through educational or, or, or social disadvantage. And, and I thought this is what, this is what I would do for the rest of my life. And I got a rude awakening really when day after day, I found it harder and harder to leave the stories at home, oh, sorry, to leave the stories in the workplace. As you can imagine, it's a yeah. very personal and emotional thing to to try and work with and, and support the building of the voice of these marginalized people. And and I found it I found it hard and I found the pace at which change could take place if it took place at all for these people so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm not sure I'm built of the right stuff. And whilst their stories stayed with me and their suffering stayed with me and indeed their joy and their ability to just sometimes laugh when when things were just desperate for them and their ability to be positive all of that stayed with me but i just felt i'm not i'm not doing a good enough job for you i'm not helping push this on my emotions are just too raw when i hear what it is you're going through and so i thought this this has to change because nobody's nobody's winning here not that there's much winning in community development sometimes sometimes there are good days but but not as often as you'd hope and um so i thought well i really love the charity sector but you know what i'm going to do i'm going to go and be a finance coordinator in the charity sector because why wouldn't you <laughs> why not <laughs> that out of nowhere. <laughs> i know i know and it was completely on on me as well in a way like I, i'm a very meticulous worker and you know finance in a way was the total opposite end of where in community development things rarely finish whereas with accounts you know one and one makes two yeah. Uh, I have balanced the books today. I can now go home. And so I think after a couple of years of really feeling quite raw sometimes when I got home, feeling pretty desperate sometimes during the day when I'd hear some bad news about somebody, I thought, you know, my head just needs a bit of, it needs to just think about something that is simple and not complicated and not lives that are hurt consistently by the system in which they are trying to survive. And, and so I thought I'll stay within the charity sector because what the charity sector needs is somebody like me who is willing to, to go do the boring bits, you know, to go do the bits that are essential, like look for money, report on how this money is spent and be ethical with the money. So that, so I went back to college again and <laughs> I became, I thought, how do I become an accountant without having to spend five years or four <laughs> years studying money? So I became what's called an accounts technician, which is like halfway house, but was enough so that I could get roles within the charity sector, se- sector that, that were management roles. 
And so I worked then for various charities. I worked for Youth Work Ireland. I worked for a company called Southside Partnership. I worked for Mayor Traveller Support Group. So I was able to, to move into this field supporting the frontline workers, supporting the, the families and the individuals um, that needed the help of those charities. And so I did that for quite a long while until one day I realised, actually, this is killing me. Doing, doing sums every day is killing me. It's, I, I, was, I was narrowing my life, my, my influences, my scope, my, my zest for life was just lessening. And Speaking thought, an Excel sheet. Yes. And I do like Excel, can I just Oh, I love Excel, but I totally just, understand. Yeah. You know, Excel is just a wonderful tool. It is. And you can do so much with it. And, you know, I do my own accounts now as a self-employed writer. And sometimes I quite like opening up that Excel spreadsheet <laughs> and not a Word document and going, great, just just a morning of sums. <laughs> but I like also the fact that it's just a morning of sums, that yeah. I don't have to do this every day anymore. Okay. That yeah. it's just, it's you know, can I say that Excel was my is my little bit of light relief? And I don't know if you can say that. Sounds very weird. No, I think you can because I was watching one of the latest episodes of Modern Family. I don't know if you just see that. And Claire is going to work in, uh, she wants to work in, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> a kind of an organizational company. So they do like the binders and the, the sticky okay. notes. And yes. the one asked her, why do you want to work here? And she said, well, in my crazy life, yeah. having this little bit of order for that little bit of time in my day okay me down so i told yeah. people i actually can understand that and i mm. enjoy excel but to to a point yes exactly <laughs> to a point. exactly so, yeah. yeah i can understand that yeah it's like um a restful a restful morning a restful afternoon yeah. for the brain so so yeah doing it full time though i i knew i it, it wasn't working for me and at the time uh, John Boyne, uh, who is my, who has remained a really, really close friend, ha, was was doing extremely well uh, in the world of writing, and I was forever ringing him up and talking to him about the fact that I would be an excellent PA if ever he needed one, um, and that I could follow him around the world to all of the wonderful festivals that he was in. And he he eventually said to me, Anna, I don't understand why you don't just write. Would you not go write? Because, you know, all these years, you know, we've had these wonderful conversations about, you know, the latest Richard Russo or the latest Anne Enright or the latest Anne Tyler. And, and so you know what good writing is. Just mm -hmm. go off and, and do it. Why don't you try it? I mean, maybe, you know, it would be a good hobby, if nothing else. And so I said, okie dokie, I'll do that. Because really, I was running out of options because <laughs> the, thought was, the thought was coming to me that if I don't do something creative, I am just going to go and become, become a full-time accountant. I am just going to go back to college for the fourth time and find myself being a qualified CPA. And I could almost feel the tears running down my, <laughs> my face at that point because I just thought, no, you know, this really isn't me. And so I started to write. And this was 2013. I was 44. And uh, oh, that's why I thought I was 44 earlier. <laughs> so I was 44 when I started to write. I had the opportunity 
in that year to go to Cape Clear Island. I don't know if you've heard of Cape Clear, just off Cork, mm -hmm. off Baltimore, the final toe of Ireland. Mm -hmm. The most beautiful, beautiful island. And it's about the course of an hour uh, ferry ride out to this island. And I was, we had the opportunity to go there for four months. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to be sitting, looking out at the Atlantic, I better write because what better opportunity would, mm -hmm. I, would I have? And so I did. That's exactly what I did. I went off to Cape Clear and I started to write and it was wonderful. I have to say it was absolutely wonderful. Every day, sitting down and writing and seeing if I could get myself to 70,000 words of a novel. And I did. Mm -hmm. And I was delighted with myself, but wouldn't give the book to John to read, even though he kept saying, go on, give it a read, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but what was wonderful there was I realized I have the stamina to write and actually I really, really like this process. So I continued to work within accounts for another couple of years. And but in that those couple of years, I started to write short stories. And one of my short stories got listed for the Hennessy New Irish Writing Award. In wow. fact, it was my very first short story I ever wrote. So naturally, I thought it was a genius. And that <laughs> every short story I wrote, I was going to be, you know, I was going to be handed awards and I was going to get into every literary journal there was out there that people just wanted to get into. But obviously, I had to come crashing down because that isn't how it works. And, you know, writing is very subjective. Mm -hmm. You know, one short story, someone, some, you know, you're, you're, friend could read it and say that's wonderful but the next one she'd be like what the hell is that because it is subjective writing is subjective and and also I was just learning how to write I I really you know I I needed a bit more help but so what happened was John started to talk to me about what I consider doing an MA and at the time you know my son was young enough and financially we were kind of struggling and but he was saying look MA MAs are just good, he said. They just, you know, they hone the mind. They they teach you the craft of writing. And look, not every author out there has an MA, and you don't have to have an MA to 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 be a successful author or to get published. It's the, that isn't it. It's just that actually, as he was speaking, I realized that suits the kind of person I am because I love learning. Yeah. So I thought about it, and I thought, okay. Um, I'm going to apply for college again, fourth time. Um, and, you know, we, we managed to figure out the money somehow. And um, it was a lot of money, but we managed to figure it out. And I was going to reduce hours and take, no, in fact, I was going to look for, I was working for Dyslexia Association of Ireland at the time, and I was taking a career break from them. And they gave it to me. They were so kind and gave it to me. And so I went off to UCD. And what I had done, right, so this was important. <laughs> I thought, right, if I'm spending this amount of money on doing an MA, if I'm going to back, back to college for the fourth time in my life, I'm going to make this work. And I'm going to wring everything I can out of it. I'm going to make those poor fellow students who are going to sit in the room work with me and give me critical feedback, work really hard. And so what I decided was I was going to bring a draft of my second book I suppose but really my first book I see it still when all is said is still my my very first book the book I would allow other people to read that I was going to bring that draft a draft of that into UCD with me because what an MA does is it is about workshopping it's about you producing work and for the other 12 people there and for your tutor to read it and to give feedback on it you know not to be horrible to you but to be honest and in a you know a constructive way question 
what it is you're doing in this scene. Why did you choose that scene? And why is your character doing this? And that's what I did. So every time we, we had to produce something, I brought in another scene from the book. And so literally through one full year, I got pretty much most of my book workshopped. And so I got the most valuable editing help from people like Anne Enright, who was one of our tutors, and from Liam Mills and from Paul Perry. So respected writers in their fields and and from the 12 other students. So at the end of 2016, I came out with my MA with 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 yeah, with my book. Basically, I had the finished book. And and that's when I started to to send it out to the world. So I was back working. Um, I'd actually changed jobs. I decided I know I'll get a. Um, I saw a job advertised for the local school for doing accounts in the local school, and I thought, well, that's just perfect because that's not going to be as stressful as working for a big charity. And so I'll work part time, and I will continue to write. And I will also then send out this first book. I'll start a second novel, send out the first book and see if anybody will pick it up. And I was nine months sending it out. So I, like every other author out there, started with, I don't have a copy of it here now, but there's a book called The Writers and Artists Yearbook that basically lists every publisher and every agent there is in the UK and Ireland and even in the state. And so you start at page one, literally. Or as I did, I what I actually did was I looked up the agents and publishers of writers that I loved and I started there. Mm. And I started to send the book out and I was nine months, nine months worth of rejections. Wow. Um, and pretty much every publisher in Ireland rejected it. And I, so I moved on to the UK and I, so in the UK, you usually have to go through an agent. In Ireland, quite a lot of the publishers will let you go directly to them so you can submit to them. But in the UK, you have to get an agent. The agent submits. Okay. So, um, and just before you just before you go to... into talking about the UK publishers, did you find yeah. it very obviously? It must have been very hard and disheartening to be rejected by a lot of the publishers within yeah. Ireland, especially when you're Irish. Yeah. You're like homegrown kind of thing. Yeah. So what? Yeah, and it is a very Irish novel. Yeah. Yeah, and... it is a very Irish novel. That's yeah. why I'm quite surprised by all of this. Uh, yeah. So what, Yeah. how did you kind of push past that barrier and go, okay, I'm going to go try the UK now? I think every, every author pushes past that barrier. And one of the things in writing short stories and trying to send them out to, or sending them out to, to journals to, to get them published in, you, you experience rejection all of the time because you know, it's just no, your story isn't good enough or your story isn't what they're looking for, or it's just not that kind of journal. So, so you, you know that you're going to get rejected. That's not to say that there weren't moments where I became quite down about it and thought, well, you know, Morris Hannigan, this 84 year old cantankerous farmer who, who sits to the bar one night to drink his to- five toasts to his to the five most important people is never going to see the light of day and and that that was upsetting but but you just so what happens is you'll have one day well ha- what happened for me was that I'd have one or two days where I felt really really down made my husband's life hell and then you know you'd, you'd wake up on the third day and you'd say okay here we go again and you know the Pretty much most authors are going to tell those stories. So it's it's definitely, it's a common thing that you hear about. And 
I suppose one of the things that the MA taught me is that, you know, not everybody's going to like your stuff. You're sitting in a room with 12 other other students. Not everybody's going to say, my God, you're fantastic, aren't you? You know, it, reading, like I said, is a really, really subjective thing. And so it's not going to be for everyone. But something that did help me along the way and something that I got from a couple of the Irish publishers were, and this is going to sound really weird, I suppose, were really, really generous rejections. And what I mean by that is that somebody took the time to not just say, thank you, but this isn't what we're looking for. They took the time to say, thank you very much. I read through this and really I was quite torn about whether to take it or not. And here are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one person was, gave me a really, just, just kept saying, look, I urge you, I urge you to keep going. It's not right for us right now, but this is going to be right for somebody else. So keep going. And it is those emails mm-hmm. that keep you going. I mean, like, I remember feeling so joyful getting those, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was ask, did you get feedback and things like that? Because in academia, when we Mm. submit things for publication and if they say no they give you a lot of reasons why they said no (laughs) (laughs) how you're a horrible human being and you never do this anymore and things like that but the the ones where they give you at least some sort of criticism constructive Mm, mm, um mm. and things like that that it's not suitable for us but yes you tried the journal paper exactly like yeah i was going to ask was that the same in, in in your industry because i was i didn't know yeah it if people have the time yeah yeah um they will do it and you know i suppose one of the things is this is a very small industry but these publishers and these agents are being bombarded Mm -hmm. i mean thousands and thousands of submissions per year and so they're not going to have the time to be able to turn around and and give you that in-depth feedback Mm -hmm. because they have their own authors that they have chosen that they are are that they need to spend their time promoting, that they need to give them as much time as they can also. So when you do get somebody giving you that kind of response, you know that your book has had an impact and you know that it's worth it. So when you get, I would say if there's anybody out there considering writing or a writer and trying to get their stuff into journals or trying to get their stuff published, if you get one of those emails, it's really good. It's really positive. And take it and hold it in your hands and run with it. Some may give you pointers about what they liked or didn't like. I have to say, I didn't really experience that, but I've heard other people do it. But no, what I got was either just, you know, no thank you or no thank you, but he, and here's the reasons why, and we encourage you on. And so they were invaluable. Mm-hmm. Two or three yeah. of them from, from the Irish publishers were just amazing. So even though the Irish publishers didn't take Morris on a story, they, they could see something in it. So actually I got picked up then by a, a very unlikely agent really over in, in the UK. And, and it was an agency that I, I uh, wouldn't have gotten to <laughs> if it weren't for Twitter because uh, they were called, yeah, they were called Xeno Agency. And uh, so that's Zed. So I was in the, the Writers and Artists Yearbook, which obviously runs A to Z. And I would have been, <laughs> I would have been, you know, years <laughs> trying to get to Zed. But but what what I'd seen on Twitter uh, one Friday morning around 10 o'clock, I'll never forget it, was this woman called Louise Buckley, who had just joined this agency. And although they were traditionally sci-fi and fantasy, 
she was there to expand the range into other genres and she was looking for submissions and so i sent her a quick email and she said yes i'm you you're 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 you know three chapters there's usually guidelines around three chapters or ten thousand words don't send me the whole thing and so she read it very quickly and came back to me within a couple hours and said send me the whole manuscript and then on the monday morning she got back to me and she said um I'd like to sign you. I said, that was fantastic. It is wonderful <laughs> to get signed by an agent. So that is your first hurdle over with. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it moved really fast. And then, um, so this was around September, October, I think. Everything moved very fast from then because she said, actually, we're coming up to the Frankfurt Book Fair, which is one of the biggest book fairs where agents are in trying to sell their book. So she said, we're, 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 we're going to go with this really quickly. We're going to send it out now to, to as many. We're going to send it out to 10 top UK publishers and then we're going to try and sell it foreign rights uh, in the in the Frankfurt Book Fair. That's like, OK, not so bad. You know, I was just thinking, I got an agent. You know? <laughs> getting published is that oh is that what we're doing uh, you know? so but within a couple of weeks I got an offer from us uh, from a publisher and then and then more offers came in so in the UK what happened was there was like four publishers looking for it <laughs> like this is nuts like, wow. this is just unheard of so there was a, a, a bidding war and publishers love when there's a bidding war because then oh they can God, then so go exciting. on you know, <laughs> what they love about it is that when they go to promote the book, they can say, you know, we bought this in a bidding war. So there was lots of interest. Lots of so interest. this is great. You know, so it's it's kind of, um, you know, it's good for them. And uh, so from what you were experiencing. So I was still working doing my accounts in the local school. <laughs> and I go, holy God. <laughs> But all right, because uh, the agent will be ringing me saying, OK, we're in the second round of the bidding war. The bids have come in. We've read them we, and we've read what they want to do with the book. I mean, what we don't, we still feel we need to go for a third round. So, oh, my God. You know, so this went on for a couple of weeks. But all the time you're thinking, oh, my God, I'm actually going to get published. And at the same time, there was a bidding war starting in Germany for my book. Wow. So I oh know. Oh, my God. I know. It was for about six months. It was unbelievable. The amount of champagne I drank <laughs> in six months. Because every time, every time my agent would bring me up and say, yeah, so, uh, so France are interested or, or the States are interested. I, we were traveling. We were going on our holidays down to Cork. We were driving down to Cork and I got a call from my agent to me to pull in. And she said, yeah, yeah, we've got interest in the States. And she's like, you know, they're offering this. And I go, okay. She said, I'm not sure though. She's like, I'm not sure. Uh, and she said, we'll, we'll just see. And then she rang me back. Then we started off in the car again. And then she <laughs> rang me back and she said, no, we're going for it. They've just upped their bid. We're going for it. We're absolutely going for it. So I stopped into Sibirine, got the got a bottle of champagne. We were going to Cape Clear again, gone into Cape Clear, popped the court. So like, it was just this, the maddest time for about six months. I wonder the case that the story was so, uh, that the story is so Irish, that that was actually yeah. more appealing for people outside of Ireland, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah. being yeah. Irish, we live in Irish lifestyle, we live in yeah. like that culture, whereas yeah. the likes of yeah. the UK, France, all like that, America, like they... Yeah, like Ireland around the world is known as somewhere that you just want to be or you're just fascinated by it or you just love the <laughs> Irish character. So I wonder, yeah. was that the, yeah. the the key point of uh, it doing so well outside of Ireland? I think so. Yeah, oh, I think, I think, Lee, you're right. I think that, you know, 
we all just know our stories yeah, so well. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, really? That's another story about us and about a guy sitting at a bar drinking whiskey. Yeah, you know, done that. Standard. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. But isn't it interesting? Actually, when the book came out here, it went straight to number one. Mm. And, you know, it stayed there for five weeks. So actually it did grab something in the spirit of the Irish. I mean, the yes, Irish people I'm, I'm coming from the other side. Like, I love yeah. the book. Um, yeah. It reminded me of the village I'm from and what goes on there. So <laughs> that's why I'm so astounded that no one in Ireland picked it up. But then I'm yeah. not surprised that it went to a number one, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, what yourself and Lee are saying, but also yeah. so kind of like, Ireland, you missed that there now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <you missed> that <laughs> well, do you know, it was really interesting. I I met uh, one of the publishers who did turn turn the book down at the Irish Book Awards, and he was saying, you know, I'm really glad that we did turn it down because I don't think we'd have done as good a job as your UK publisher has done. And done very often that is the case mm. that your book will end up with the right person and that person will adore it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to end up with an editor who likes it. You know, you want to end up with an editor who says, this is brilliant and I am going to give 110% to this book and I'm going to make sure it gets on the right, you know, tables through the right letterboxes with the right reviewers. Um, I'm going to make sure that we have this everywhere it should be people will be sick of seeing your name basically that's the kind of editor you want and that's what scepter in the uk did for me yeah. they backed it 100 and i was lucky because not every not every debut book that comes out is going to get the money behind it and this book just you know met the right editor who said we're putting everything into this because we love it so much and everybody in scepter was behind it from the sales team to the arts team to the to, to the publicist team, they just, they were behind it. And Scepter also are part of this group called Hachette. And there is a Hachette Ireland here. So a, a small Irish office who, who, who published their own books in Ireland independently. But their publicity team came on because they were part of Hachette and really pushed it here. So I had two wonderful publicists. I had one in Louise Court in the UK and I had Elaine Egan here in Ireland. And they went above and beyond and they made sure I got onto every radio program, into every magazine, into not every book that comes out gets that. And so I have been extremely lucky in the people who have who have read this book and fallen in love with it and, and, and got Morris and got, got his story and got the fact that here was a very flawed man, just like every single one of us and and got the humanity and the vulnerability of him mm -hmm. and got that he was a cantankerous old fecker but that he <laughs> i was... love that about him <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah you know because we're all cantankerous old feckers at times, oh, yeah. really you know and um but yeah he had his own way about the world and and what he felt about it and how he felt he wanted to be in the world and he you know he took no prisoners and he did it his own way and so yeah I mean I've been extremely lucky and you know it's sold great here and in the UK and the states that came out in the hardback there in March last year and the company that took it in the states were very happy with the sales now it's just come out in the paperback so and I was to be over in the states mm -hmm. uh, for a week promoting it and well unfortunately <laughs> that hasn't happened due to corona and so you know, I've been trying to push it as much as I can. So anybody out there who has connections <laughs> in the States, you know, 
It's out in paperback. It's a great story. Make sure you push it with your aunties and your uncles and your cousins and whoever else, you know, in the States. And yeah, I mean, the book has actually gone in. So apart from the UK, Ireland and all the English speaking territories of the world and the States, also English speaking. So I'm not sure why I'm I'm (laughs) differentiating there, but it's going into it's going into 17 language, foreign wow. languages as well wow. wow so that's been that's been really so really interesting and- obviously after the 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 whole the bidding process and how you said that there was like six months of just constant champagne and stuff like that yeah i'd love to know how you felt when you you the the publisher that won that got it that actually printed your book and you had a physical copy in your uh-huh. hand what was that I feel like no amount of champagne could to, could be enough to, for that moment of physically holding your book and like seeing it printed and yeah. stuff like that. So that yeah. moment, taught, like, what was that moment like for you? I mean, it was it was wonderful. <laughs> it was it was it was it was just fantastic. And and I know this is gonna sound really really weird, but I remember I remember walking by. I have to explain this. This is gonna sound so strange. <laughs> The very first day I saw it in a shop was in Easton's in Athlone. And I was over in Athlone because I was doing an interview on community radio. And I always thought the first day I see this book in a bookshop, I am going to just be so thrilled. And I'm going to be like, hey, this is my (laughs) book. Do you see that? That's my book. Okay. But it wasn't like that. I was petrified. And I was walking by Easton's and I could see it. I could see it up on the shelves and they had it on the bestseller, on the bestseller list. You know, the way they do one, two, three, four and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I could see it and I just walked straight by. I thought, I can't go in. I can't go in. I can't look at that. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you where that's coming from. And booksellers are going to understand this. If there are any booksellers listening, my my immediate reaction was, oh my God, they've bought far too many. They're going to have to return them all. Oh my God. What a disaster. (laughs) remember going over to to London to uh, in the first week of publication and and they brought me to a lovely lunch and everything and, and my editor was there my publicist was there and my editor said we have um we've done another run of the book because it seems to be going really well so like they'd initially I don't know how many they'd initially published like something like 3,000 or something and, and it's going really well so we're going to do another 3,000 and I said oh my god are you sure are you sure now because the amount of returns coming back it's going to be something awful uh, and she's like no 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 you're okay it's like we'll be fine don't worry about it so yeah and the last the last I heard um it was a couple of months ago. I'm not sure if it was, it must be just after Christmas. They put up a lovely tweet saying, you know, when all is said, uh, over 160,000 copies sold. Wow. Whoa. Cheers. And it was wonderful. And I mean, back from, you know, uh, how you many months before? Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll, <laughs> yeah. They'll never sell six. Jesus. They'll never sell six. <laughs> never they, sell six. They, they'll, they'll be losing money. Dear God, and it'll all be my fault, you know? So, <laughs> oh my god so yeah that's the kind of woman you're dealing with <laughs> i think that um, i think that comes from very a uh, very irish uh, well as you said maybe a lot of publishers yeah, are, it's just a very like jesus nobody's gonna read that no <laughs> where would you be going like don't be working any harder than you need <laughs> Not my behalf. No, no, God, no. no. <laughs> did you um? Did you ever go into like a bookstore and sneakily sign a few copies or anything like that? No, no, <laughs> I I didn't. But I do remember th- this. I did do something very brave for me. 
<laughs> I was over in Birmingham. I was doing a festival in June of last year. Was it? No, no, it couldn't have been June. No, it must have been. It was, it was earlier. It's definitely earlier than June. So it must have been around May, uh, April. And I was doing a little festival just outside Birmingham and I had gone into the Waterstones in Birmingham on my way back through to go to the airport. And I, this is totally out of character, I decided I'd look for my book because I thought, God, I wonder what it'd be in Waterstones, Birmingham. And I found it. I found two copies and they were kind of hidden away. So um, I took them and I put them as close to the front as I possibly could, <laughs> which was really out of character for me because obviously going from, oh my God, there's far too many of those books there to, I know what I'll do. I'll just put it at the top of the shop so everybody can see it. And But then I felt, I felt very, um, I felt very guilty for doing that because two seconds later, my editor rang me and said, I've got some great news. Waterstones have chosen your book for their book of the month in July um, and so then I went and I took the two books back and I put them back where they were because I was like oh no they've done enough for me now I can't be going messing with them now so. oh my god I love that <laughs> that's brilliant that's brilliant <laughs> I could just I could just imagine you like you'd go in you might buy a copy and you'd go up to the checkout and you'd be like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's me. <laughs> me. <laughs> no, I've never, I've never done that. No, um, yeah. So yeah, my my stories about going into bookshops and seeing my book. I'm getting, I'm getting better at going in and and seeing my book. Although, see, my 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 book isn't in the, it, it isn't front and center now. I mean, there's loads loads of new books this year that are rightfully front and center. So so I I'm not as conscious of myself and my book when I walk into bookshops now, which is kind of nice. I can just walk in and kind of feel completely anonymous and, and nobody knows who the hell I am. It's like, please you know. stop. No paparazzi, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, actually, that that is a thing about writers. That is something that you you never have to worry about. Unless, of course, you're J.K. Rowling yeah, or Anne Enright, possibly. You know, people actually noticing you because normally nobody has no idea what you look like. So, which is nice, which is really nice. Yeah, um, yeah I can imagine that's nice. So, like, wow. <laughs> One word answer, wow. But, like, incredible. Like, what I'd, what I'd love to know, I suppose, from, like, what a journey of just kind of life or career, in, in definitely in your definition, is not a straight line. <laughs> no. No. So, like, from going, from going, from doing the, the, BA, the BA in history and then the the diploma in community. <laughs> There's just so many things to keep track of. The diploma in community and and youth community work, work. And then doing the, the accounting technician <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like it must have been maybe a relief wasn't the isn't the right word, but it must have been a moment as well as that moment of when you saw your published book and when you went through all that. Um, mm. rejections to getting the publisher that probably at the end of the day was the right publisher for you because as a lot of people say what's for you won't pass you and stuff um, had to get a saying in there <laughs> going through all those different I suppose hurdles and hoops to kind of get to a point where you're like this is actually what I want to do that must have been a very special uh-huh. moment because of like going through the charity work and doing the account stuff and yeah. having moments where like yeah. I don't want to be doing this forever it must have been 
Yeah. It must have been yeah. something special to kind of go, I'm a writer. This is what I was meant to do. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was lovely. And it, and I think what is nice is to feel, well, this is what I want to do right now. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this feels really, really lovely. And it feels right. And I feel very at home in the book world to return to the book world after working in Waterstones when I was um, in my 20s. It does. It feels like I've kind of arrived home again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a there is a lovely comfortableness with it. So but then that's not to say that there might I, I think I will I will pretty much stay within this sector for, for the rest of my life. But I hope I still find opportunities to learn new things like what if I decide, oh, I wonder what script writing is like or, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid, poetry. And I say that, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to inflict my poetry on the world. But, you know, like what if there is something new? So I, I kind of, you know, I'm still, you know, open to, to looking at, at different things. I have a feeling in this world. time we'll find out that she's a property manager. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, scaffolder or something. You're yeah. like... Scaffolding. I had thought of doing, <laughs> doing dry stone walling at one oh stage. I thought that would be nice, but I've arthritis in my thumbs and the joints in my thumbs, so uh, it, it's I, uh, the weight will be too. Something tells me that wouldn't hurt your, you anyway. Your dreams, your, dream, your dreams of being a drywall person uh, were shattered. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's fantastic because a big part of this podcast is allowing people to see that you don't have to know exactly what you want to do like at 25 at 30 at 45 at whatever age and if it's a case that you find you get to different moments in your life that you want to completely pivot then that's okay too because like no I don't think anyone ever knows what they're doing it's just a matter of taking each day at a time and if you're happy in that moment doing what it is that you're doing then keep doing it until maybe you don't feel that way anymore and you want to try something new like there's no there's no like right or wrong there's no yeah there's no right or wrong and there's also no like when you choose something you're locked in that room forever and you can never get out and do anything different it's life is you're allowed to do different things like it's what you want to do that that matters and I, i i do think to add to that i think and what you show is if 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 you're going to do that you need to show a sense of vulnerability and you need to to show a sense of hard work because you, you show that in everything you put your heart and soul into everything you did from what it seems and mm. I yeah like your book is a testament to that I absolutely yeah. love thank you um, so much no thank it's you. brilliant I've literally hounded all of my family to read it and oh, good <laughs> good I was hoping I'd have it with me but my friend Julie shout out to Julie who is an <laughs> she has it at the moment in her car <laughs> oh well I hope Julie's enjoying it well not while she's driving Maybe while she's sitting in the back seat and not going anywhere from her driveway. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I hear it's a great place to read and write. Exactly. (laughs) I think think Lee is totally right. Like for anyone that's listening, especially now for leaving starts, especially mm, you know, things are never straightforward, and Mm -hmm. these times are quite testament to that. Things are never straightforward, and exactly. learn than to learn from someone like you um, oh god thank you very much i did not know any of that about you yeah <laughs> i did not know you were into excel i need to talk to you about <laughs> and I, I, think, I think we have a club i think it makes i think it makes not the end result because there's there could be anything in the future or whatever but i think it's great to see that 
in the traditional sense, you didn't go down the traditional route of becoming a writer. It was something that came at a little later in life. And you said, sure, why not? Yeah. I'll I'll go off to Cape Clear and (laughs) go to a a dreamy (laughs) island off the coast (laughs) with the Atlantic as my view. And I started writing. (laughs) That's all anyone needs to do. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's fantastic for to hear that that story, and that you shared with it's us brilliant. of yeah. the process you've gone through to kind of yeah. get to where you are now. I think it's amazing. And you feel at home. Yeah, I do. I feel like I've arrived home. I'm very comfortable in this world and uh, very happy to be back in it. And yeah, look, as you say, you know, once you're happy in a particular moment, you know, stay there. Um, but you know, if sometime, if at some stage a question mark starts to arrive, you know, have a, you know, look about you and see and research and see is there mm-hmm. something else that maybe you could do and, you know, never be afraid if you can. And again, I say this and uh, knowing that I had the support of my family, it's, you know, start at the bottom. I started at the bottom with every single new career I went into. And again, I must reinforce this. It's only because financially I could do it I was I was blessed that that I could do it yeah don't be afraid of what it is you might be able to do don't be afraid of yourself and your capabilities because when you when you get there it's really kind of nice and you can say well fair play to you fair play and there's lots of champagne at the end lots lots lots. of bubbly (laughs) it's run run out though in the last (laughs) six months so I have to get back to I don't know there'll be a lot of bubbly when all this stuff ends everyone will be oh, popping yeah, yeah, champagne there will, will. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of uh this fantastic no. fantastic <laughs> episode with Anne. and to kind of start kind of winding down i'd love to know what's next for Anne griffin okay well, so can... a second book oh. if i can get it finished Ooh. in the back of my car so yeah i'm not sure when it's going to come out i'm hoping 2021 if if we can keep going to schedule mm-hmm. but you know everything has been thrown up in the air by corona and dates are shifting rapidly mm-hmm. um so i'm not sure but there's definitely a second book it's it's on its way and it's also set in ireland but it's a female voice this time Ooh. yeah so it was really really interesting writing the male voice and now it's been equally as interesting writing a female and wow. she's she's younger than than morris but... oh, i was going to say is it who i think it is but it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know people have been very people uh, you know have contacted me saying oh but but I, I want to know what happened with Kevin and I want to know what happened with Emily and I want to know you know so I don't know maybe in years to come there might be a follow-up but I'm probably not, the full writer of all those emails what happened <laughs> yeah. says a different alias each time yeah. <laughs> actually just to follow up that that question that you're writing a second book Mm. I'm curious to know, obviously, with the success of your first your first book mm. and going into your first book, you had no real, I suppose, maybe expectations put upon you sure. uh, mm. in terms mm. of there was nothing published before your first sure. book. So what is it like now, knowing that you have, when all is said, published and it's done so well, what is it like now writing the second book? Do you Do you feel any pressure? Do you feel just like, OK, I can take my time with this? She didn't until you asked her, Leah. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. 
Well, from a woman who was really afraid of, you know, them publishing too many of Winola, so you can imagine how terrified I've been um, writing the second book. Going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, yes, there have been moments of absolute terror. But my husband is very good at reminding me that there were always moments of terror when I was when I was writing when all is said. So mm -hmm. each book comes with its own fears. And uh, so, yeah, I've been going through quite a bit feeling, oh, my God, this book is going nowhere. And then you'll have a moment of going, oh, do you know, that bit isn't too bad there, actually. You know, you, you can write. And um, so you go through your ups and downs in the same way as with the first book. But yes, there is added pressure. And so in my good days, when I am able to, I just concentrate and I say, just enjoy writing this. If you do nothing else, just enjoy writing this. Now, I may have one good day like that. So one out of, let's say, a 30-day month and the rest of the, the other 29 days, I'll be going, oh, my God, you're hopeless. <laughs> but, you know, so, but if I can get that one day, then I'm really, really pleased with myself. Mm -hmm. And I've had a, 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 a couple of them through mm. the last while. So, so if I can just get my, my brain in the right frame of mind, then I just concentrate on what I'm doing and saying, just let me enjoy this day, this this scene I'm writing, let me enjoy that. I think that's such a, I don't know if it's the same for you, Fee, but it's definitely a creative, when you're a person that writes or, uh, mm. for me, videography and photography and stuff like that, it's such a, <laughs> a roller coaster of emotions that you go through. You always find like, oh, this is a great idea. Okay, it's not too bad. This is terrible. Oh my God, why are you doing this? And it's like, actually, this Absolutely. isn't so bad. No, this is terrible. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> like in such a... crosses all disciplines. I'm now kind of slightly straddling the engineering with the kind of comedy and stuff. And whether I'm writing a paper or even correcting work, and I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, Jesus, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. and then I might write a joke and I go I think that's funny no one else thought that was funny <laughs> I need to read I think it kind of crosses it's such, and we're finding yeah. that with the podcast we talk to so many different women and although their disciplines and things are totally different sometimes yeah. the same topics kind of keep coming mm, up which is absolutely true true and I think it's good to know that everyone goes through that up and down process not oh, everyone's yeah. like yeah I'm great all the time like no <laughs> nobody good luck if like fair dues if you think yeah. like that all the time like I wish yeah. I did but it's definitely I don't know does anyone <laughs> yeah all, they do, front, if they like... say they do they lie they lie yeah I think so <laughs> I think so we are human we are mm -hmm. fun of full of vulnerabilities mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. so and, and maybe that's why our creativeness comes out you know maybe that's why what we create is good mm -hmm. because we're able to show our vulnerabilities as well yeah. that's true that's true i agree with that we are i've said it already but we're coming down now to the end of the podcast and before we kind of finish off off we like to kind of ask some kind of fun sort of questions so starting off with the first one uh, i hate these can i just say <laughs> I hate them, but go on. <laughs> Some people love it. No Some pressure. Yeah. Um, so three people dead or alive that you would like to have over for dinner. Okay. Uh, so Richard Russo, who's my favorite American writer. Mm -hmm. Matt Smith, who played the... Oh, I'm going to get it wrong and my son will kill me. The 13th Doctor. Okay. I was going to say he's a doctor. I know one. Yes. Oh, wait. It's um, Matt Smith who played Philip. In the yes. Yeah. Yes, like to have him. And oh, well done, Leah. Mary Hayden, who uh, was the woman I studied, um, the pro first professor, female professor um, mm. in University College Dublin. Perfect. Wow. Oh. 
Like they were, they were very, I think you're the quickest person to come up with your three <laughs> that we've yeah. had so okay, far. Great. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like a great three to have over for dinner. <laughs> so, okay, so the next question, what is your favourite quote or mantra that you live by or like that you like? Oh, I have an answer. Straight <laughs> off the, oh, I have one for this. Yes. So it is get it down now, get it right later. Okay. So that means I like that. write your first draft, just get it down, stop procrastinating, stop worrying about that paragraph you've just written, just keep writing. And when you finish that first draft, you can go back and correct it then. Mm-hmm. But the big work is that first draft. Okay. Getting started is always the hardest yeah. hurdle. Great. I really like that. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. So next question. Knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself 10 years ago? <laughs> I'm excited to hear this I, w- I, w- I honestly wouldn't say anything to okay. myself because you know every path I have gone down has led me to here mm-hmm. so it's a bit like a Doctor Who episode you can't be going back and meddling with the past because then you change your future mm-hmm. yeah. so I don't want to change the future I don't want to change the fact that I met my husband have my son and a writer so I would say absolutely nothing I would stay silent and let me just follow my own path okay. I love that yeah I like that that's nice (laughs) so one last thought before we sign off what would you say to someone that's teetering on the edge of a big decision or what life advice would you give someone do your research do your research about what it is you might want to move into because with every change of career that I did I did a lot of research about what it is I was moving into Mm -hmm. I did a lot of preparation around what do I need financially to survive what do my family need for me to be able to do this next step and really communicate well with those around you who are going to be affected by it you know that's what I would say if somebody is thinking about writing I would say to them just keep writing and keep reading and dip your toe in at some stage send a short story off to a literary journal And if you like the feel of that and if you can deal with the rejection and it is hard to deal with rejection, but you do get a thicker skin. If you like it, then keep going and start bombarding every literary journal there is out there and get your name known a little bit. So it's like dipping your toe in the water, making sure you're safe and comfortable all the way along. I'm a very, I like to feel safe and I like to feel like I know what I'm moving into. So Mm -hmm. preparation, preparation, hard work, key. Perfect. Okay, that's great. So to finish off, where can people find you? Plug some of your socials, plug your book, whatever it is that you want to plug. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So when all is said, you can get it anywhere. Uh, You can ebook, audio, download, buy it in a bookshop. You can get it in 17 languages from Chinese through to Hebrew, (laughs) German, French, not in Spanish. The Spanish have never bought my book. It breaks rude. my heart. Rude. But coming out in Italy next week. Uh, rude. <laughs> bookshops and just put it in the front. <laughs> <Yeah. room. laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Anne Griffin. What's that one underscore? At Anne Griffin underscore. And I'm on Instagram, Anne Griffin Writer, and my website, um, AnneGriffinWriter.com. And um, I think that's everything I have to say. That's where I am. That's where you'll find me. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. And it has been absolutely fantastic listening to, oh, to your story and the, the journey that you've been on to get to where you are now. What a, a roller coaster it was. And it's just, it, I'm so happy and delighted that 
when all is said has become a number one bestseller all your hard work was has paid off that that it's done so well especially after the rejections that you went through with publishers here in ireland and then being picked up in the uk um as i said what's for you won't pass you and stuff like that so i think thank you so much for coming on to our little humble podcast and chatting to us total pleasure loved every minute of it Liam Fiona thank you so much for thinking of me and it's been a lovely hour and a bit (laughs) really great thank you so that's it from us at Next Gen Femme until our next episode we'll talk to you later bye bye bye